Turning your Bibles, if you will, to Leviticus 16. Leviticus. Oh no, not that book. <laughs> not that book. Really? So redundant and so insignificant. Some of you may be thinking, right? How many know that there is no insignificant passage in the Bible? How many know that? How many really, really, there's no such thing as an insignificant passage in the Word of God? Before we get into the text this morning, I want to draw your attention to the calendar. I know it's not in front of me or in front of you at this time, but I want to challenge you to remember the 17th of February. 17th of February. Immediately after service, we are going to be participating in our fellowship meal. Oh, Pauline said, oh, I forgot. <laughs> February 17th, please, don't make any plans. Join us. We promise we're not going to make you wash your feet. Okay, come on out and enjoy a meal together. Amen? That he said, Amen. <clears throat> Um, Leviticus 16 And bear with me We're going to do some reading today Amen Listen how many know that there's nothing like the word of God How many know that There's nothing like the word of God Don't be fooled by any other notion Please God's people Don't be fooled by any other notion Any other voice There are a lot of voices in this world Vying for your attention and mine How many know that The devil is real the Bible says that like a, like a roaring lion, he walks about seeking whom we may devour. He's looking to devour somebody. And the way that you and I succeed, the way that you and I assure our victory this side of heaven is the truth found in the pages of the Word of God. Amen. So this morning we're going to do some, some reading and we're going to do some studying. And I'm going to challenge you to pay attention. I'm going to challenge you to take some notes down. But certainly don't fall asleep on me. Alright? Because the Word of God is going to set you free today. Amen, Ron? Yes. Amen. So in Leviticus 16, I'm going to read the entire chapter. I believe it's 34 verses. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen on the garments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. You hear that God's people take a bath. <laughs> From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement. Notice how many times this passage uses the word atonement or sin offering or burnt offering or some type of offering. The key word is atonement. It says Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Remember that, the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron should bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for his sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense, and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense 
on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law, so that he would not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his fingers sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering and for the people, for the people, and to take his blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the holy place, for the most holy place, because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites. Whatever the sins have been, he is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites and all their sins and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments and he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering, very important, on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward he may come into the camp, the bull and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work. Whether native-born or foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord you will be clean from all your sins. It is the day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord God commanded Moses. Father, I thank you again for your word this morning. I pray, Father, give us a heart, or rather give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what it is you have to say to us this morning from your word. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people say it. One more time. God's people say Imagine over and over and over again the word atonement is used in this one particular passage. It was a holiday. In this one particular setting, God was instituting forever a special holiday for the people people. The observance of this holiday, we have to, it's worth noting that it had a dual purpose. Number one, 
It was a reminder of their deliverance from Egypt just a few years before. And secondly, it was a reminder of their future fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Just think of it. Did you notice the, the language in the passage referring to Yom Kippur? Did you notice that? Which is uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. In verse 34, look at verse 34. It says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. It began in Egypt before the Exodus, and it was ratified right here in this one particular passage as a part of the Mosaic Covenant. If you think about this passage, passage, there are two words that stand out to me. One of them I've already mentioned a number of times. And it relates to the actual theme of the passage. No matter what passage you read in the Word of God, in fact, no matter what book you read, there is a theme, an underlying theme in the text. In this one particular passage, God has chosen for you and I today to understand the importance of, number one, atonement, and number two, holiness. I have a quote for you here this morning. Reichen says, quote, Leviticus tells a story of how God wanted the Old Testament covenant nation of Israel to order its religious life and practices, especially in regard to worship and the sacrifices that were the basis of God's relationship to his people. These sacrifices in this one particular passage were of utmost importance. In the passage it mentions sin offering and it also mentions loosely birth offering. So these are sort of instructions that God was given Moses to his people regarding the tent meeting and its various practices. If you want to look at, we're not going to be looking at them today, but in your own time. In fact, let me ask, how many read the book of Leviticus this past week? Amen. Lots of you. At least half of you. It, it, you probably notice that in chapter 1 through 4, chapters 1 through 6, it talks about various sacrifices that were presented. Chapter 1 begins with the burnt offering. And with every successive sacrifice that the text mentioned is of utmost importance. And we're going to be looking at that just a little bit this morning. And it's going to coincide with the first point that I'm going to present to you in just a little bit. But let's just take a, a quick glance at the book for a few moments as an introduction. Leviticus, some, some of you may know this, some of you, most of you may not. Leviticus is actually a term that's not, that was not generated from the Hebrew language. It is a term that was generated from the Greek and the Latin Bibles. And it means that which pertains to the Levites, that which pertains to the Levites. And the reason why it's important to know is because there are many S-E-C-T-S sects in Christendom today that believe that the book of Leviticus is only for the Hebrew people, or rather, I'm sorry, that was only intended for the Levite tribe of the Hebrew people and not for the Hebrew people as a whole, which is wrong. It's in fact intended for the entire nation of Israel. Why? For one particular reason off the top of my head, it was in fact the Hebrew people that had to observe these commandments. The Levites practiced them at church as the leadership, but it was intended for God's people to come with their sacrifices. Their obedience was reckoned by way of their sacrifices. Uh, a second thing concerning the book of Leviticus is that the book is not written in a narrative form. Not like you pick up the, say, book of Matthew and you can actually read through the book of Matthew, Matthew in the narrative. Book of Le Leviticus is not intended to necessarily be read that way. Of course, we read it that way today, and that's all right, but it's a book that consists mainly of rules and regulations for God's people. And it's worth noting right here that there are a lot of things from these sacrifices. Although you and I are not sacrificing animals today, there are lots of principles that you and I, lots of meaning that we can actually take away from the sacrifices. And that is something that we're going to be looking at here today. Another thing I want to mention here is that most of you know this clearly. 
without any argument whatsoever, hands down, that Moses was the author of the book of Leviticus. How many know that? Right? How many know that? Let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. Moses was the, was the author of the book of Leviticus. Would it surprise you if I told you that there are a lot of believers today that do not necessarily believe that Moses wrote the book of Leviticus? Yes, indeed, there are some. Not many, but there are some. Heretics, clearly, but there are some. And their argument is that some priestly editor, years later, actually compiled. Look it up for yourself, you see it. That some priestly editor compiled the book of Leviticus years after Moses moved on. Some priestly editor. And one of the, one of the things they point out to support that argument is that when you read the book of Leviticus, it's written in a third party, third person, singular perspective. As if there's a third party, someone else on the outside looking in to a conversation that's taking place between God and Moses. But to believe that notion that Leviticus wasn't written by Moses is to deny the integrity of the Bible's own testimony concerning its complete inspiration by God as given to Moses. And here's the verse to prove it. Jesus Christ in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 44, he points to Moses as the author of the book of Leviticus. It says, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your, for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. Jesus Christ was referring to a text taken from Leviticus 13, verse 49. So, having said those things, by way of a first point, I want a, a first point that actually speaks to the idea that I presented to you earlier about the relationship between the sacrifices in the text and Jesus Christ. Point number one, if you're writing down, is the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice. Leviticus speaks a lot about animal sacrifices. We know that already. But what is the reason? Why does it speak? Especially from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It speaks so much about sacrifices. Why? What is the reason? It's because they serve as a means of atonement. We mentioned that word earlier a number of times. The animal served as a means of atonement, and the result was a holiness upon God's people. It wasn't just a religious observance or a religious practice with no meaning intended. No, not at all. It was God was trying to draw his people not just simply to acknowledge him, not just simply to practice some religious observance, but to actually change. He wanted to transform their hearts. I don't know about you, but how many know that the heart is evil and desperately wicked? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So what's God's intention by way of all these successive sacrifices, one after another, to make his people holy, to make them distinct from the rest of the world. So since we're talking about the word atonement, let me tell you what it means. It means simply to cover <clears throat> over. And the word suggests that sin can be covered or removed from sight by making a payment or ransom equal in value to the wrong that was done. We know that the system in the Old Testament wasn't perfect, right? I mean, you know, the system, <coughs> excuse me, it wasn't perfect, but it existed as a representation of a future fulfillment in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to show you a verse here, taken from Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And I want you to see how Jesus Christ was referring to himself as the fulfillment of Scripture. And it's worth noting, because this is, in fact, the first point. Many people consider the Old Testament, by and large, and they have difficulty understanding why it is certain things were done in the Old Testament the way that they were actually done. 
The point is that it was all pointing, it was all typology or a shadow or an image of things to come in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're talking about atonement. Luke 24, 27 reads, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did you see that? He opened up the scriptures in the Old Testament concerning the prophets, and he interpreted to them everything concerning himself. In other words, Jesus Christ is revealed in the entirety of the Old Testament. It began in Genesis 3.15. I mentioned that in Sermon's past. It's referred to as Proto-Evangelium, the first Messianic passage of Scripture in the Bible. I want to share another verse with you, taken from Hebrews 9, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, and this one particular passage, it, it refers to Jesus as the perfect sacrificial lamb, and it points to the Old Testament again as well. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, the securing of an eternal redemption. The author of the book of Hebrews, in fact, I would challenge you to read the book of Hebrews. In fact, we're going to be reading it sometime very soon, perhaps in the next month or two. It's an extraordinary book. And I pray that when we are, in fact, challenged as a church to read the book of Hebrews, take special attention to everything mentioned concerning Christ and his fulfillment of the Old Testament act animal sacrificial system because extremely important when I studied and I learned what I could about the Old Testament system you know what it did for me? it helped me to truly appreciate Jesus' sacrifice on the cross it's easy for you and I looking back at the cross to take it for granted but when you truly take into account all the animals that were slaughtered it's not in my lesson today, but I think of Solomon and the tens of thousands of bulls he sacrificed. Just, just celebrating the opening, if you will, of the temple. He slaughtered tens of thousands of bulls and oxen. Tens of thousands. So much blood. A river of blood in the entirety of the Old Testament. Just think of that. For what purpose? Because God was trying to make sure they understood that one day, the ultimate land, the ultimate sacrifice, was going to be presented. Jesus Christ was going to be lifted up high and cursed for you and I. A sinless, perfect sacrifice for our salvation. And so, with that in mind, the next points that I want to present to you uh, relate to the second idea that I mentioned earlier. The question is, what application can we make this morning from the different types of animal sacrifices that we read about in the book of Leviticus? Number one, Leviticus speaks of a burnt offering. Secondly, in chapter two of Leviticus, it speaks of a grain offering. Thirdly, it speaks of a peace offering. Number four, in chapter four, it speaks of a sin offering. And number five, it speaks of a trespass offering. Every single one of them were completely significant and important to God. And had to be followed to the letter as God laid it out, as he gave instruction. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Because I want to apply a theme. I want, to, I want to talk about these sacrifices briefly. And I want to move through them as quickly as I can. I'm looking at the time. I promise you. I want to get to the Super Bowl just as badly as you do. Go Rams. Amen. Ruby said amen. I heard it. I heard it loudly. He said no, don't do that brother. Don't, don't, don't do that. That's not true. Come on, man. Go Rams. You live in California. <laughs> so, so I want to I present a theme to you. And I want you to consider these sacrifices as we presented to you this morning with this theme in mind. Let me ask you a question. How many of you enjoy dinner together as a family? Amen. How many? Amen. 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 
Uh, how many enjoy going out as a family? Amen. There is a, a family um, that you know, um, you probably met, the Holt family. How many remember Jason Holt and James Holt, that family from back east, Urban Holt? They're no longer in Philly, but James is still in Philly. Um, but they're soon, he's going to soon be relocating possibly here in California or to Chicago with Jason, his brother. The reason why I brought them up is because no matter where they are in the country as a family, no matter where they are in the world for that matter, there's a certain time of year where they all stop what they're doing, they travel, they buy the expensive airline tickets, and they get together as a family. Why? Because for them it's extremely important. Now I want you to think about that theme. Think about the theme of family. Having dinner together as we consider these sacrifices. Why? Because it's worth noting that in order to truly understand the sacrificial system, we need to know that the tabernacle served as a meeting place for God and man to enjoy a meal together. These sacrifices were not in vain. It was sort of like a dinner table that God was laying out and the offering was translated from one form into another. The animal was literally sacrificed, but God was standing over the tabernacle or over the temple as he does today over our worship. How many know that? How many know that God is always present when God people gather together? Amen. Amen. That's one amen. I got one amen over here. Jesus said that when two or three are gathered together in my name, they're my in the midst of them. You guys are still asleep. I gotta try it one more time. Jesus said that when there are two or three gathered together in my name, they're my in the midst of them. This is not a new concept. It's not a new concept. I wish I had a number of hours to present this to really unpack that, but we don't, right? So suffice to say that the tabernacle served as a meeting place. That's what the Bible says. No matter what version you read it in, it says a meeting place. It's because God, he inhaled, if you will, via his nostrils, the odor, the smoke of every single sacrifice presented to him. It was a special meal time that actually served to shadow what you and I enjoy today in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. So imagine you're about to get married. How many how many remember the day you got married? I know. For some of you for some of you Richard said Hallelujah Some of you for some of you it's just it's just flat out too long ago. To remember, right? But 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 you can appreciate. Michael said, "Yeah, that's me. That's me, brother. That's me." But listen, marriage is a beautiful thing, right? How many of you remember your marriage? It's a beautiful. I remember my marriage. I cried. I cried. And let me tell you, my wife sang her vows to me. Oh, that's right. She did. It's not. It's not that lie. I I. I didn't go, we we wanted to forego any idea of just listening to the pastor or whatever and say I do whatever. I I shared my vows to her from the heart and she sang her vows. If you don't don't believe I'm actually doing that right here, right now. I'm going to provide the covertly the video of her song. It's going to make me cry like it made me cry. But the, the point is that marriages are beautiful. And that's the picture that's actually taking place here in the text. God is orchestrating. He is conveying. He's giving instruction to his people because he wants to draw them to himself in holy matrimony. And we're going to try to unpack this. So imagine that you are about to get married. The best thing has been provided. Everything's been provided. Money is no object. And the groom is the Lord himself. The revelator in the book of John talks a lot about that. You know we're about to get married, right? You know that soon or very soon there's going to be a feast in heaven. The marriage supper of the Lamb. How many get ready? How many get ready? Well, it began, the shadow of those things began right here in the book of Leviticus. Let's see what we can discover here. Point number two, dedication. Dedication. If you were about to get married to God himself, how would you prepare for such an evening? How would you prepare 
people suck to the bed. I don't know about you, but I'm going to dedicate myself. I'm going to do everything I have to do to make sure I'm in my best behavior, my heart's in the right place, my mind's in the right place, because it's a special occasion. Otherwise, you miss it. It goes right over your head. How many of you don't answer? How many of you fail to truly prepare for your own wedding and, and you wish you could go back? You wish you could turn back the clock so that you could put everything you have into it. Yeah, young people, you better take note of that because it happens one time like that and if you don't truly for me, I see your smile, you're preparing, right? You say, mm, I hear you, brother, I hear you, brother. She says, I hear you. Listen, don't take it for granted. You have to dedicate yourself. And God was challenging his people to dedicate themselves. Watch, watch this. Leviticus 1.3 is where we get the idea that God was challenging his people to come before him first and foremost with a burnt offering. Why? Because the burnt offerings, burnt offerings, they were regarded as a means of establishing a relationship with the Lord. A commitment. What's a marriage without a commitment? What's a marriage without a commitment? Off the top of my head, I'm reminded of Amos 3.3. It may not necessarily be relevant to the message, but Amos 3.3 is a question. It says, can two walk together without being in agreement? Can we walk down the street without being in fellowship? in relationship with one another. The same thing holds true with regard to our relationship with God Himself. He wants there to be a commitment, a relationship. See, He doesn't move. God is perfect. He's like a perfect beard, if you will. And there's no shadow of turning with God. John talked about that, I believe, in John chapter, 1 John chapter 3. So God is perfect. He's unmovable. He challenges you and I to draw close to Him with our commitment. The sacrifice was offered completely on the altar minus the blood. So concerning the burnt offering and this concept, this idea of commitment, when the man of God approached the the altar to present the sacrifice to the Lord. God was always ready to receive it. But God wanted the blood removed from it and only the blood. And you sacrifice the entire burnt offering. Why? Because God wanted them to understand that every bit of their life was required. God demanded holiness from his people because the animal was a substitution for their sins. Something innocent had to die in order for a relationship between God and man to be established. And God wanted the entire animal except for the blood. Because of the life of the body is in the blood. The blood was required to be spilled to thrown on the side of the altar and then the entire burnt offering was to be sacrificed. Thus the offer was expressing his complete devotion to the Lord. Now remember the concept of having a meal, sitting down for dinner um, together that I presented a few moments ago. And think about Revelations chapter 3 verse 20. Revelations 3 verse 20. It's a figurative meal and it's a reference to our worship. God wants to establish worship with us. In the same way, the birth offering was a means of establishing a relationship intended on worshiping God. Revelation 3.20 reads, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens up and lets me in, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. You see that analogy of sitting down and having a meal with the Lord? When somebody hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to that verse, God essentially is knocking at the door of his or her heart with a passionate desire of sitting down and enjoying a meal together. It's not a new concept. It goes all the way back to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Namely, Leviticus chapters 1 through 6. So, what an awesome picture of what was meant by the tabernacle meeting place. The question, let me give you a question. The question is, what was God's intended purpose? What was God's intended purpose? He wanted to establish worship in the heart 
of the person coming with the sacrifice. And there are two beautiful verses that we know all too well. One of them is right here to my left. We know all too well concerning worship. But it, it, it applies here because it paints a beautiful picture concerning this relationship that was presented between God and man in the Old Testament through the sacrificing of animals that was fulfilled in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, John 4, 23 and 24, But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. A dedication was required first and foremost by God's people when they approached the altar. The entire animal was required. Which brings us to our second or our third point titled Character. Character. And this is taken from Leviticus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're not going to read the text again. Um, take the time, actually, we didn't read that text, but take the time and read it when you get an opportunity. And in Leviticus chapter 2, it speaks of a grain offering. A grain, like, hey Lord, you want a cake from me? A grain offering. But it was significant. It had its place. Now, watch. Grain offerings were intended, they were regarded as character gifts unto the Lord. There was no blood in the grain offering, just like the offering that follows this one, the peace offering or the fellowship offering. There was no blood in the grain offering. It was presented by the people of God, the people that had already established a relationship with Him via the burnt offering, and it was sort of like a gesture, like, I want to continue in this fellowship with you. It was a part of an ongoing relationship. Gentlemen, I apologize for this, but it was sort of like the flowers and chocolate we give our wives from time to time. Maybe I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's been some time. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm going to check my team. I'll get some money. Help, help a brother out. I'm going to buy my wife some flowers and some chocolate. The cook. But we bought, we paid for them already, right? See, but, good there. but my wife don't want that. She wants flowers and chocolate. She loves chocolate. But think of this, think of this. A grain offering. It was significant. It was a gift. It was a character gift by God's people to the Lord Himself. There's a relationship that has been established already, and now the individual is still coming before the altar, still coming to church, still coming to the man of God because he wants to, he or she wanted to offer this type of sacrifice because it represented the individual's ongoing relationship with the Lord. So, considering the, the theme that we established of uh, marriage, you're about to get married, or you've been married, and you've got this relationship to your sweetheart, male, female, etc., um, and from time to time, as an expression of your love, you give some gifts, right? How many like giving your spouse a gift? I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm. Boy, tough, tough crowd. Yeah, well, listen, we shake it up, shake it up. I'm one of them. I'm the first one there. I just don't like the stores, man. If I can bring myself to the stores, maybe I can pull some money out of my pocket. The brother back there, he's got his hand in front of his mouth. He's like, mm, brother, you put me on blast. My wife is going to expect something from me today. Huh? <laughs> she said, Amen, brother, Amen. I know that's right. <laughs> so, it was a part of an ongoing gift. The connotation is a good character. Put this down if you're taking notes. The connotation is a good character develops as we continue in the faith. Good character develops as we continue in the faith. And the application for you and I 
as well as for Jesus Christ in his fulfillment. Because remember, it wasn't just a principle for the people that were coming, it was also a sign or a shadow of things to come in the Lord Jesus. And that verse would be found in Ephesians 5, verse 2. It says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering, because that's what a grain offering was. It was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The verse says, Walk in love with one another. Walk in love with one another. And it's important to know right here that this was one of two or one of three of the sacrifices that was shared with the priests. The burnt offering was sacrificed completely to God. And God received it, the smoke. That was it. it was, there was no sharing with the priests. But this grain offering, when the people brought the grain offering to the church, the tabernacle, the priest was able to help himself to a portion of it. And then the rest was sacrificed to God. So it has to do with fellowship and relationship, not just with God, but relationship with one another. Woe unto us this side of the cross if we fail to understand the importance of fellowshipping with one another. Woe unto us as believers this side of the cross when we live pointing our fingers to one another in condemnation or in judgment. Because the Bible speaks highly against that idea. It says, walk in love with one another. Point number four, the next sacrifice is taken from Leviticus chapter 3, verse 1. And remember this ongoing theme concerning fellowship, relationship, marriage, etc. The point is titled, Peace Renewed. Peace Renewed. And this type of offering, it, will, it was also referred to as a fellowship offering. These peace offerings were like grain offerings. They were gifts unto the Lord. And think about this one particular offering as a special gift given to your spouse as an act of reconciliation. How many marriages are perfect here this morning. Any perfect marriage? Mm, not at all, right? Oh, oh wait a minute. Miss Caroline, you, you okay? Okay, because you're married to Jesus. You're by yourself and that marriage is perfect, right? Amen. Amen. So, the point is that we struggle from time to time. Right? Yes? No? Yeah. We struggle from time to time in our marriages. And what happens when one or the other does something wrong. We eventually we say sorry, right? Still trying to get my wife to use that word. It's difficult for her to declare that word. I'm so maybe I'm sorry. I, I want to hear it. I mean, it's, if it's got to happen right here, it's got to happen right here, baby. <laughs> yeah. You can't put me on the couch because it's a really comfortable couch that I got from Mike and Sarah. Amen. So, think about when difficulty arises in a marriage. We say, I'm sorry. And then the next phase of the relationship takes a beautiful turn. More often than not. If the sorry, if the apology is genuine, authentic, there's a beautiful season that takes place where perhaps gifts are exchanged. At the very least, one. Baby, can I wine you and dine you? Can I take you out to eat? Can I take you out to a movie? Whatever. And we do those things traditionally, right? Does that happen in our homes? And, and we do that. And those gifts, if you will, after the uh, sorry, they serve as a means of reconciliation. Because we truly, if you truly love your spouse, you want to display to him or her that you are genuinely apologetic about the mistake you made, right? And you give something up in exchange. You give something up in exchange that represents your reconciliation. The peace offering or the fellowship offering usually came up after the successes 
sacrifices, the sin offering and the trespass offering. And it, and it actually allowed God to read, to look into the heart of the offerer and realize that this person was seeking reconciliation. I've given you my sin offering already. Now I'm coming before you and I want to let you know, Lord God, that I'm genuine about this and I'm going to continue to do what I can to move in your direction. I want your peace. I don't want to live with the mystery of my mistake. I don't want to live with the difficulty of my mistake. And we make those sort of sacrifices unto the Lord. What can we offer the Lord as a peace offering today? Back then they literally sacrificed an animal. What does it look like today for you and I? Romans chapter 5 verse 1. It says, being, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that verse speaks volumes, right? But first it talks about our praise, our faith serves to affirm our fellowship with the Lord daily. It's actually how we get through to Him. This morning, I don't know about you, but I got up and I got on my face before God and I affirmed my relationship with Him. I gave Him, I presented a peace offering this morning to affirm my fellowship, to affirm my relationship with Him. Therefore, my faith today serves as my peace offering or my fellowship offering. Lord, I want to be in constant fellowship, in constant relationship with You. So here it is, Lord God, take my faith. And the reason why faith is so significant, Hebrews 11, 6, says, Without faith, it is impossible to... Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God doesn't want anything else from you. We already know in this church that you can't earn your salvation, can you? No, in no way, shape, or form. There's nothing you and I can do this side of heaven to earn our place in heaven one day. Nothing, absolutely nothing. But does that mean there's no contribution at all whatsoever? That doesn't mean that at all. Faith is my contribution. The Word of God quickens my heart. Faith comes alive. And I yield my life to God via my faith. He doesn't want any physical sacrifices from you and I today. He doesn't want that. He certainly doesn't want us to go through the motions without faith, believing that going through the motions, the good things that we are capable of doing this side of heaven, especially here in the church, as somehow those good deeds are a substitute for our faith. Is that true? In no way, shape, or form. God wants our faith to be tangible, to be active, to be alive. Now consider what Jesus did for us. Ephesians 2.14 Because this peace offering, this fellowship offering, was also a shadow of things to come in Christ. Ephesians 2.14 reads, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's the reason why you and I can fellowship the way we are here this morning. It's the reason why we have such a wonderful relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because He sacrificed Himself on the cross as a peace offering, as a fellowship offering unto God Himself. And guess what? Our Heavenly Father, He, re he received that sacrifice from Jesus Christ Himself. He laid down His life. It wasn't taken from Him. He laid it down as a sacrifice so that you and I may have peace. Point number five. I'm almost up. I'm looking at the time, God's people. I'm looking at the time. I know you got a roast in the oven. Point number five. Our substitute. I titled this one, Our Substitute. And this one particular point has to do with two offerings, with two Sacrifices, the sin offering and the trespass offering. And these offerings they were required payment. Listen to that. They were required payment for for transgression of the law. God had already he, he was establishing 
the legal system. And when the legal system was violated or broken in any way, a particular animal was demanded by God. If you had the money, the finest of animals was required. If you didn't have the, the money, the means, then certain lesser, smaller sacrifices were required. But there was a price to pay for committing sin. And they served to establish, or rather re-establish, a broken relationship with God. The demand of the law was that something had to die. Something had to be given up on the part of the offender when sin was committed. And that something was an animal. Along, get this, not just an animal, but along with the animal, an extreme regard for change. I want to challenge you to read Leviticus chapter 4, beginning with verse 3, and then that has to do with the sin offering, and with regard to the trespass offering, Leviticus chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. And you're going to get the clear picture that man wasn't required to come just simply with an animal with, without the coinciding attitude, the proper attitude with regard to change. Change was required. Otherwise, God saw them as hypocrites just merely coming with a sacrifice without any regard for change. What does it look like in your marriage when things go so bad? You're still using that one particular thing. I can tell you what the Lord has to say about our relationship with Him. Consider this verse. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. Write that one down because it's very important. We got this relationship started with Jesus Christ. He's already died for us. What does He have to say in the text of the Bible, namely the New Testament, about our ongoing relationship with Him? It says, Matthew 3, 8, it says, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Wow! I know what somebody's thinking. Is that verse actually in the Bible? Is that concept you're presenting actually in the Word of God? Yes, it is. There's a particular character that must unfold in our lives if we truly regard ourselves to be children of God. We cannot just merely go through the motions of presenting sacrifices to God when we come to church. I gave my tithes and I gave my offerings. I'm good. Now I can do whatever it is I want to do with the rest of my day, with the rest of my week. I can live the way I want to live. Listen, that is not biblically sound. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. I can sort of hear James in my mind talking about faith without works is dead. Don't just declare out of your mouth that you believe there is a God in heaven, but display it by your lifestyle that you have indeed entered into relationship with Him. Consider how this sacrifice, or these sacrifices, the sin offering and the trans trespass offering relates to Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we may die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. Just think of it. Romans chapter 5 talks about this beautiful concept called justification. That in Christ, because of his sacrifice, because of the blood that he shed for us, anyone who opens heart and mind to know Jesus personally and intimately is immediately declared righteous. Immediately declared righteous. Not later. 
Not when his acts have got together. Not when these habits have dropped. The old habits, yes. We, this one, I came to Christ, I was a mess. And for a long time, I needed somebody to slap me around on the dead things. And it happened quite literally, let me tell you. But the moment you say yes to Jesus and it's authentic and it's genuine, listen. Justification. Declared righteous. Why? Because Jesus Christ surrendered his body for us as a sin offering, as a trespass offering as required by law. Did you know that he was sacrificed on the cross outside the city walls? Did you know that he was cursed for your life? Did you know that according to the word of God, your sins and mine were heaped onto his body? Did you know that? Did you know that like the animals of old that were brutally torn apart, the burnt offering was offered to God, minus the blood, in its entirety. The body wasn't mutilated in any way. But the sin offering and the trespass offering and the fellowship offering, those animals were slaughtered. They were slaughtered. The spine was torn out, the kidneys were offered, the liver was offered, the blood was sprinkled, sprayed on the quarter on the side of the, the altar, but the animal was torn apart. Portions were given to the priests, some were offered to God, and it was a meal <clears throat> as unto the Lord. The animal was destroyed significantly. Jesus endured the same. He endured the same. His bones weren't broken, but his flesh was destroyed. It is my opinion. It is my opinion. Some people don't like the passion of the Christ. Um, Mel Gibson's depiction of the crucifixion because it was too extreme. Like, it couldn't possibly have happened like that. But listen, my Bible tells me that he was disfigured when they pulled his hair off his face. He was mutilated. Picture the, what do you call that? The cat and nine steps? Just picture that in your mind. The cat of nine tails, the glass, the metal on the end of the leather. The picture of your Jesus and the pain that he endured. Theologians say that 18 important Jewish laws were violated in the trial that took place during the early morning hours before the crucifixion. An illegal trial. 18 very important Jewish laws. Jesus was scourged. You! Brutally! For your sins and mine. So the next time you think something out of place, the next time you do something out of place, the next time you transgress, you sin against your Lord and God. Remember what Jesus Christ endured for you. And don't take it for granted. Bow your heads with me this prayer. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for its beauty, its majesty, its splendor. Its significance. Thank you for its meaning this morning. And the understanding that you've given to us in this community of faith. Pray, Father, I pray that you help us. Help us, Father God, today for the rest of our lives to truly live life on mission. Intentionally serving you, Father, in spirit and in truth. Knowing that you endure so much for us. And in the process of things in the Old Testament, as you were giving instruction to your people regarding the sacrificial system, you wanted them to understand the principle, the meaning, the significance of each sacrifice. And this morning we're taking the time to just briefly generically consider the meaning behind every sacrifice. 
at least with regard to some measure of application in our lives today. Help us to remember, Father God, that relative to the burnt offering, you want my life completely. And concerning the grain offering, you want me to offer gifts to you from time to time. As a token of our relationship, you want to know from me, from my heart and from my mind, that I love you and that I'm involved in this relationship with you. Like a gift we give a spouse from time to time. And Father, concerning the peace or fellowship offering, you want us to understand that in order to enjoy a lifelong relationship with you, we have to offer something. We have to give up of ourselves, namely our faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please you. Therefore, help us this morning to present sacrifices to you that indicate from our hearts to yours that we are children of the Most High God. And lastly, Father, concerning the sin offering and the trespass offering, Father, I thank you for Jesus' death on the cross. I thank you for the shed blood for my sins. I thank you for the fact that he took my place. My sins were hurled at him on the cross. Help us to understand that when we commit sin against you, to carefully and intimately confess them to you. We thank you so much, Father. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, God's people say, Amen. Amen. Stand with me, if you will, for a moment. We got, we got a few moments. Stand with me as we sing a song. We close with...
extend an opportunity for somebody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus to come to faith in Christ. We've talked at length today about atonement and what it actually means. My Lord, Jesus Christ died in our place. He died to cover, to erase our sin. Imagine that. What a beautiful opportunity it is to come to faith in Jesus today. You don't have to work at it. There's nothing you have to do. But just simply open your heart. I'm looking around and I think these are our faithful ones. So I think with a couple of times that I've looked around, I think we're good in here. But in the event that there's somebody who needs to know Jesus, this is your opportunity. Right where you sit, you can know Jesus today. And all you have to do is open your heart. Why you with me, everybody? Why you? Why you? If you don't know Jesus, this is your day to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All you have to do is say, Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried. Believe you rose again on the third day for me, for me, so that I may be saved. Dear Jesus, please forgive my sin. Come into my life and become my Lord and Savior. I dedicate my life to you. I offer this burnt offering, burnt offering to you this morning. I dedicate my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. Somebody pray a prayer like that this morning. Please talk to me afterwards. I'd like to get to know you, talk with you, and certainly follow up with you with regard to your decision this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for service. We thank you for church. We thank you for your blessings on our lives. Please bless your people as we go our separate ways to have that meal that we talked about with each other. Father, make it a holy time, a solemn Sunday between believers and family members. We thank you for the meal that we are going to participate in this afternoon. And we pray that the rams were the Super Bowl. In Jesus' name. Amen.